Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this season, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on every single goddamn page in a trio of adventure modules for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes RPG, starting with Adventure MT1, All This and World War II. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. All This and World War II was written by Ray Winninger and published in 1989 by TSR. Today we're discussing page 35 of All This and World War II, and we rejoin our heroes after they have just violated the cardinal rule of stodgy tactical fantasy gaming, never split the party. But they had no choice. The Nazis have a super weapon, and that super weapon is in one of two places, Castle Vladistopol, which is in Romania, or Hitler's private bunker, which, as we know, thanks to World War II's greatest hero, Hamilton Crane, is in East Prussia. The Nazis plan to use this super weapon very soon. There's no time to hit both locations sequentially. The invaders want to stop the Nazis. Our player characters want to stop the Nazis. Neither one has the numbers to cover both locations alone, and thus, a hot collabo was born. Back on page 34, we began chapter 13, Hitler's Bunker. On this page, and starting back on page 34, we follow the story of the mashup team that elected to storm Hitler's bunker in search of the superweapon, and there's not much meat on this bone, because this chapter does lead into a fork. It leads into a decision about which way to approach the bunker. That fork comes later, though. This much is certain. Quote, From the information in Crane's book, the heroes can locate the bunker precisely. Captain America suggests that the members of the strike team fly over the bunker in an allied transport plane under the cover of darkness, and then parachute into attack position. After the mission is complete, the team can then be picked up later by a British submarine. It goes on to say that you don't have any difficulties with the plane ride, you fly over the forest. The read aloud text says, quote, A few moments later, you catch a glimpse of what must be your objective, a small, lighted structure located on the seacoast, just north of the town of Venstock. And then, with the bunker sighted, it's time to parachute down. Quote, the heroes must now parachute down into the forests, unless, of course, their powers can compensate. Anyone who jumps must make a remarkable intensity agility feat roll. Yes, remarkable, they are parachuting into a forest at night. Failure means that the hero is snagged in the trees on the way down and takes good damage. Once all of the heroes are on the ground, they can release any of their comrades caught in the trees and proceed with the mission. So, okay, parachuting is hard, and at least in this scenario, unlike in Ninjas and Super Spies or Heroes Unlimited, parachuting is not a virtual death sentence for the talented novice. But still, a remarkable agility feat is a little bit tough to make for many characters, good damage is not nothing, and, quote, if they jumped, the heroes will land about a mile and a half away from the lighted structure they spotted from the airplane. If they fly or glide down, they can land wherever they wish. That brings us to page 35 proper, where we get a quick description of what the characters see from ground level, and a couple of different tactical options for approach on the left-hand side of the page, and on the right-hand side of the page, we have an illustration of a mashup team of West Coast Avengers and invaders sneaking toward the bunker. According to the text, the heroes are probably going to want to do a scouting mission on the bunker, and when they do, they see the following, quote, The lighted structure must be what you are looking for. Off in the distance, you can see guards everywhere. The structure itself sits on a forested hill overlooking the seacoast. About a half mile west of the bunker is a small fishing village and harbor. From what you can see, it looks as though there are ten guards on each side of the bunker. So you've parachuted down about a mile and a half away, and you decide how to proceed. The options presented here are, number one, sneak a little ways farther through the forest and then just straight up rush the bunker. Or number two, quote, they can head out to the fishing village, attempt to appropriate some boats, and assault the bunker from the seacoast, where there are likely to be less guards. And that's where our path branches. I would be remiss not to point out 
that the judge was instructed, last page, to harangue the players about their dumb plan if they start talking about securing their own vehicle to make this journey to avoid having to rely on allied aircraft. If the players try to steal a plane to get here by themselves, the GM is supposed to be like, well, that would be so complicated. So many things could go wrong. Think of the consequences if you fail. There's not much room for error. Then on the following page, the designer is like, probably after sighting the bunker, the heroes will decide to venture to a nearby fishing village, hijack fishing boats, sail around the bunker and attack it from the shore. Which seems to me like not only literally the long way around the bunker, but figuratively the long way around the barn. I mean, I grant you that stealing an airplane to carry out this mission is shenanigans. It's some player character bullshit. But at least if our heroes try to steal a plane, they're not going to end up fistfighting 2d6 village fishermen. And this seems like a major undertaking to attack a fishing village for minor tactical advantage. But we'll talk more about this as we follow this path of the adventure. What I really want to talk about today is the tactical situation that the characters are in at this point. I didn't really think about it much when I read the text, but I started to think about it more when I saw the illustration on this page. So over on the right-hand side, we see our heroes at night under a full moon, stealthily observing the bunker up on the cliff before them. Captain America is up on a rock, halfway exposed. His lower body is still behind the rock, but he's kind of peeking over it, looking up at the bunker. We see Scarlet Witch. She's behind a rock out of sight. Wonder Man is pulling up the rear. Wonder Man always looks in these pictures like he's not quite sure where we're going. He's kind of forgotten <laughs> what we're supposed to be doing here, but his main job is to be invulnerable, so it's not strictly necessary that he follow the plot. Uh, Moon Knight is also here representing the West Coast Avengers. He looks like he's skulking too, although it's hard to tell with Moon Knight. A lot of that is attitude. Bucky is here, also out of view behind a rock, and then representing team invaders, the Human Torch, Jim Hammond, and I'll give you one guess as to whether this motherfucker is burning at full blast at night in the middle of a stealth mission. He is. His Only his face is in the foreground. We can see the, the fire just shooting off the top of his head. We see his face in profile at the very bottom of the illustration. And his facial expression gives no indication that he sees a problem here. Like he doesn't look like he's trolling the rest of the group. right? There's no, there's no smirk there. There's no frustration like, fuck this stealth stuff. Let me just turn up the heat. I came to burn Nazis alive, not tread softly through the moonlit forest. He doesn't look like he's trying to be disruptive. He looks perfectly serious. He's focused on the job just like everybody else. You can imagine they're all conferring about what we should do about this bunker up on the hill. You know, do we go over to the village and get these boats and plan an attack from the shore where they won't expect it, catch them by surprise, but we do risk being caught and we might have to engage civilians. And then if we go this way, though, and sneak through the forest, at the end of that, ultimately, there's a frontal assault. Maybe we could create some kind of diversion. And all the while... You're looking at these guards up on the cliff. We got five superheroes like hiding behind rocks, whispering, and one fully on fireman in plain view of the guards. I feel like at any minute, one of these guards is going to point down there and shout in German, that man is on fire. And the human torch legitimately is going to look at all the other superheroes and be like, oh shit, my bad. I'm sorry. I had that feeling I was forgetting something, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. You know, like when you leave the oven on, I'm, look, I'm sorry, guys. Let me burn these Nazis to death. This is my bad. Even for Human Torch, who by all evidence so far seems to need no reason to turn himself into a full-scale fire hazard in just the casual moments of his everyday life. Even for him, this seems like a major tactical oversight. So I started to think, what is the situation here? What is the tactical situation? Because do they need to sneak given that they've got somebody here who can fly? I mean, it's one thing if you got a parachute in and you land a mile and a half away, and you got to trudge up and be careful and be stealthy. And then once you spot the bunker, then you got to make an approach on foot. 
and you got to make a decision about which direction you're going to approach from, that all requires you to be stealthy and do some scouting, make a plan. That's not really the case for the Human Torch who can fly. There's no anti-aircraft weaponry there. It's just dudes with guns, and Torch can melt bullets. So when he gets spotted, all he's going to do is fly right up to these Nazis and start throwing fire at them, which is what he was going to do anyway after taking the trouble to tread softly through the moonlit forest. So for him at least, there's very little tactical downside to this. As usual, the Human Torch personally has nothing to lose from being fully on fire at all times. It's the community that suffers. And in this case, the community is Captain America, Scarlet Witch, Moon Knight, and Bucky particularly, who can't fly and who are far enough away from the bunker that they're going to have a lot of difficulty getting to it and joining this fight. So they're going to have to leave it to the Torch and Wonder Man. But then I started thinking, the only reason that we're so far away in this shot, the only reason that we landed a mile and a half away from this bunker and had to trudge up to it, now we're going to have to make this whole approach, is because we parachuted down. And the only reason that we had to parachute down was because of those same people. Scarlet Witch, Captain America, Bucky, and Moon Knight, they can't fly. So not only did they need the plane to cover the distance to East Prussia, but they also needed the parachute drop to get them down to the location where they wanted to be. So they ended up like taking damage, getting stuck in trees, having to trudge along and potentially get spotted, and now being in a tactical position where they got to be all hush-hush, they got to hide behind rocks, otherwise the guards are going to spot them. If they hadn't needed to parachute in, then as per the text on the page, they could have just landed anywhere, including directly down on the fucking bunker, which is where they're going. No moonlit forest necessary. So the problem here isn't really Torch. He could stand to be more of a team player, but, you know, it's his nature. I remind you of Aesop's parable of the frog and the scorpion who is constantly on fire. This is really on the tactical mind who put together this team, and that is the dumbest thing on this page, on a couple of different levels. We definitely have Captain America in the mix here. He's in this illustration, which means in the fiction of the game book, so to speak, the sort of default playthrough, he's on this mashup squad, as opposed to the one going to Romania. The judge chooses which invaders to use in this story as NPCs, but you pretty much have to pick Captain America because he's in the box text that you read to the players, right? So he's the leader of the team. He's kind of the only invader you can't drop from the selection that you're using as a judge. And he's supposed to be a master tactician. Here's what I figured out. If you make a couple of assumptions, uh, number one, Captain America and Bucky fight as a unit. I think that's fair to say, you know, Bucky is Captain America's sidekick. He's his responsibility. He's a problematically young man out on the battlefield with no superpowers. Not that Bucky can't handle himself, but I think Captain America and Bucky are going to want to stick together in this scenario. Assuming that Captain America and Bucky go on the same squad, and assuming that Hawkeye brought his Skymobile, uh, his flying vehicle, which can fit in the time machine, and is in his stat block at the end of this book. So it's part of Hawkeye's character. He has a Skymobile. It's important to his tactical options, right? He's a ranged fighter. He wants to be able to fly up and shoot people with arrows from a distance. Assuming those two things, the team composition shown in this illustration is virtually the only way Captain America could have set up the team such that they would need to parachute in. Because it's his non-flying ass, and Bucky's non-flying ass, the young ward of Captain America's non-flying ass, uh, it's Captain America and Bucky who are dragging the team down. If you take them off of this squad, the only available replacements on the invaders are Toro, Namor, and Union Jack. Union Jack can't fly, but Toro and Namor both can, and Namor can carry somebody when he flies. He's very strong, and unlike a certain socially disruptive robot and teenager duo that I could name, he is not, in the normal course of events, on fire. So if it's Torch, Toro, and Namor, they can all fly. If it's Torch, Namor, and Union Jack, Namor can carry Jack and they can all fly. Only if it's Torch, Toro, and Union Jack do we have one invader who needs a ride to be able to fly. Meanwhile, over on the West Coast Avengers team, notice who's on this mission. Moon Knight, Scarlet Witch, 
and Wonder Man. Now, Wonder Man can fly, and he can carry somebody, so the West Coast Avengers can almost pull their weight here. Vision can fly, but he can't carry anybody because he flies by reducing his density. But he can at least get himself where he's going. He can fly. Hawkeye's got his Skymobile, so he can definitely fly on that, and I think he can give somebody a ride on it. Tigra is the only non-flying West Coast Avenger who's not on the team. Looking at this illustration, I thought, how strange that this seemed like a perfectly natural split to me on my first read-through of this book. But actually, if I'm Captain America and I'm a tactical genius, how did I miss the fact that we've set up a parachute mission here that is only necessary because I've chosen one of the very, very few roster arrangements where we can't just fly into the position that we want without bothering with parachutes? So I did look at actually all the different possible permutations of available West Coast Avengers and available invaders for Captain America to work with based on the West Coast Avengers that the players choose to play, based on the invaders that the judge selects, based on how big each squad needs to be. The upshot is this. We are dealing with a younger, a less experienced, a less disciplined version of Steve Rogers, Captain America here. And I think he's just looking for any excuse to parachute because it is actually very rare for him to be presented with an Avengers roster and an Invaders roster, such that he cannot assign this mission to a group that, even if they can't all fly, they at least have enough flyers on the team to carry everyone into position without bringing parachutes into the equation. If he does that, not only do we not need the whole first portion of this chapter, with the parachute jump, the damage, the getting tangled in trees, the hiking a mile and a half, but we also arguably don't need the stealth that we see here, and there's more of it to come, because we can fly in on these guards so fast that we'll take them by surprise just as much as we would have if we had laboriously snuck up on them elf-like through the forests of East Prussia. And also it basically negates one whole branch of this path because the whole thing about going to the fishing village and stealing fishing boats and going up and, you know, hooking around to the shore, there's no need for boats if you can fly. Just fly around and attack the bunker from whatever angle you want. So the dumbest thing on this page is that the alleged tactical genius Captain America, his personal insistence on being here with Bucky parachuting into position, that's essentially the only reason for all of the salient tactical considerations in this chapter and one entire chapter branching off of this one. Literally any invader squad of any size that does not include Bucky and Captain America has at most one invader who needs a ride, Union Jack, Similarly, on the West Coast Avengers, you've got to go out of your way to send non-flyers who outnumber flyers on this aerial attack mission. And that's mean. It's mean to make Scarlet Witch jump out of a plane for no reason. She's not Black Widow. She's not that kind of superheroine. She doesn't wear cat suits. She wears tights. She wears pink tights. You have all the options in the world, Steve. Replace Moon Knight with her husband, Vision. He can fly himself. Wonder Man can fly her. Problem solved. Replace Moon Knight with Hawkeye. She can ride in the Skymobile. Problem solved. Replace her with either Hawkeye or Vision. Problem solved. There's enough flyers to go around. So simply put, the dumbest thing on this page is that if the judge isn't extremely careful to choose precisely the right characters to make this parachuting necessary, when the time comes to divvy up the team and figure out who's going where, it's going to be pretty trivial for the player characters to suggest, hey, instead of jumping out of an airplane and hiking to Hitler's bunker and sneaking up on it and trying to attack it, why don't we just send all the people who can fly and just swoop down and tear the place apart? And this whole recon by moonlight scene on this page is unnecessary. Arguably, the dumbest thing on this page could be Human Torch just blazing like the noonday sun on a stealth mission. But based on the serious look on his face, I do believe he's trying. I think perhaps Jim Hammond's synthesoid brain cannot comprehend what tactical purpose is served by Captain America's decisions in this scene because Jim Hammond, as an android, and forgive me, 
no offense to androids, I think maybe Jim Hammond's android brain cannot understand that it's just really fun to parachute, and you might opt for that, even if you might lose a couple people because of it. Anyway, if you share my frustration with most of this material probably being pointless, join me next time to discover that all of this material is definitely pointless on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact the show however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Podbean, Gmail, Instagram, etc., etc. This episode's theme music is Robinson's Grand Entry March, performed by the United States Air Force Concert Band. Thanks for listening.